0: hey this is kate welcome to two pastors take a walk and make a podcast
1: this is yolando and as always we're talking about what is astonishing us what we're thinking about and what we are preaching
0: so, what is astonishing you?
1: Listen, last night, the Commonwealth of Virginia quietly removed Confederate memorials from the state capitol. Wow. Among, uh, yeah. <laughs> this happened last night. Um, again, uh, the, among them were the busts of Stonewall Jackson and a 900 pound statue of Robert E. Lee. Now, of course, we're living in very difficult and stressful times, and yet, I just keep coming back to that scripture that says that God makes all things work for good. Even in the midst of all of this pain and trauma and injustice that we're seeing in our day, Jesus is working out his kingdom agenda and it is marvelous in our eyes. And one of the things I want people to see is that Jesus' kingdom agenda does not simply, you know, fall on us out of the sky. It is it is, it is made manifest through disciples who with courageous faith, speak out and act in line with justice and peace. And one of those disciples that just really has my attention these days is a white pastor. And uh, his name, his name is going to sound very familiar. His name is the Reverend Robert W. Lee IV, He is a descendant of the Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Three days ago, he testified before the House Natural Resources Subcommittee in favor of removing the Confederate monuments. And you may remember him from what? MTV. Yes, three years ago, (laughs) MTV. And I didn't realize uh, then that he was pastoring a church in North Carolina not far from us. Correct. So, somewhere correct. in between Hickory and Statesville. And when he got back from that speech at the MTV Music Awards, <laughs> he
0: said, nah. Yeah, well, they
1: were about to fire him. And he said, um, that, well, they called for a vote to fire him. And he was like, that's okay. I'll leave. And um, mm-hmm. I think people need to, people, especially white Christians, need to take his example. Mm-hmm. Because on the one hand, he is, he's clearly paying a price for standing up for the kingdom of God
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and, and acting in line with the kingdom. And yet there are people who are being persuaded by him. Be- because mm-hmm. he he speaks from a certain perspective and and he'll he he has said look i grew up with a confederate flag in my bedroom and lots of things about the civil war in my bedroom and i celebrated that stuff for a long time and i think he mm-hmm. said it was when he was going through confirmation in a methodist church and a woman of color spoke to him and said look i know you want to go into ministry but you, you can't follow, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, you can't follow Jesus and hang on to that flag.
0: Yeah. And it was yeah. a
1: crisis moment. And so he can speak about his conversion to those who need to be converted in a way, in a, in a, in a way that I can't. And so I'm, I'm really uh, grateful for his ministry and for the courage that I think the Spirit uh, has given him. So that, yeah, that's I mean, what's astonishing me
0: yeah, I think what's so helpful for people in general, and and in this moment, a lot of the people who are being called by Christ to live out the values of the gospel, um, I mean, people of color have been doing this for centuries. And I think white people are just coming to the place of recognizing that like the time is now. Um, but I, I think what's helpful to remember is, look, um, you are going to suffer in this life. You don't get to choose a path of no suffering. What you do get to choose is, are you going to suffer for the sake of righteousness? Are you going to suffer for the sake of unrighteousness? Because sooner or later, I mean, whatever, I think that Jesus said, you reap what you sow. And so if you sow seeds of justice and seeds of peace and seeds of reconciliation and seeds of transformation, you reap that, but, but if you sow into continued injustice and alienation and, um, just hatred and, um, lies, eventually short-term that might seem like the easier path, but eventually it's going to come back. And I, and I feel like what we're seeing at this moment in this country and what I hope a lot of other white people are seeing is, you know, people who came before us made a choice that was not righteous they they found a way to justify it but it was not righteous and the reality is there were short-term short-sighted superficial gains for that but but what was deep and eternal and true um, was that they were sowing seeds of of enmity and hatred and they were you know that, that, you know, now, now we're inheriting the wind, right? And I just think that that's really an important thing to say that, you know, God won't be mocked. So at the end of the day, if you think um, that, I mean, if you would honestly believe that this is the will of God, then I I don't know what to say to you. But most of us, when we get quiet, and when we get honest, we know what righteousness is. And um, we, you know, we understand that ultimately, if you believe in a God of righteousness, you don't want to be standing on that side as brave, as hard as it is to leave that side. And as, and as tempting as the voice that says to you, this is who you are. And this is just all you'll ever be. This is where you belong. You have to say, no, that's not, that's not true. And and so I think, I mean, that's just really helpful to say he made a choice that he could have, Avoided suffering for righteousness' sake, but you can't avoid suffering for unrighteousness' sake. And so, what we can do as people of faith is just say, "For what cause do I want to suffer?" And I want to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Um, so, anyway, that's yeah.
1: I I've been thinking about this, and and um, what what's emerged for me are really kind of three. I know there are a lot more, but there are three theological issues that come to mind. Uh, the first is idolatry, um, yeah. and and Uh, Reverend Lee has clearly said, you know, these Confederate monuments and symbols are idols representing white supremacy and racial injustice. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: what do you do with idols? You got to get rid of idols. And if you look at the Old Testament, whenever there was a um, spiritual renewal in Israel, it often came with the removal of idols. And so yep. this, is, this is not about partisan politics. This is a spiritual issue. And idolatry well, is, is high on the list.
0: And a, and a friend of mine, I think, um, I think it was Ron McClellan. McClellan I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I get confused as to who says what on social media. But he was just pointing out that when you look at the, um, if you read First and Second Kings and the Chronicles, even the kings who were quote good and they're few and far between, but when God or when the chronicler or the author sort of renders judgment about them at the end of their lives, the, the thing that is always held against even the ones who who do justice are, are that they don't remove the idols from the high places, right? Yes, and yes. and so I think a lot of us as as white people are are sort of really comfortable saying, like, hey, um, obviously slavery was an abomination and obviously Jim Crow and segregation were evil and wrong. And obviously we want to work for justice and we want to work for reconciliation. But like, I mean, a statue is a statue, like, can't we just leave it alone? Can't we just leave it there? Like, what's the big deal? And I mean, I would just say, I mean, to be clear, I think the big deal is it causes pain to our neighbors, to our brothers. I mean, that, that is enough. But if you don't believe that, then I think you need to really reckon with, then what was the big deal to God if there were poles to Asherah up there? Like, why did God care? God knew that these false gods weren't true. So, so if, if idols to false values and false powers aren't a big deal, then why were they a big deal to God? And why is that just the drumbeat of judgment throughout Kings and throughout Chronicles? Because our statues and our idols mattered even when they are two gods that aren't true and aren't real and obviously because they they
1: create a barrier between people
0: and god they just obscure the truth they're lies they're just lies Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and the you know the confederate monuments are just like doubly lies because on the one hand they lie they represent a false history of what the civil war was about and they represent a false history of who white people are and who black people are. And there's even a further lie layered in on top of that because people, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters are coming to us and saying, this caused me deep pain. And the statues themselves are standing there saying, no, they don't. That's not true. You shouldn't feel that way. You don't feel that way. You know, so it's just, they're, they're lies and lies are destructive. And, you know, in the beginning of physical violence and physical actions are thoughts. Mm. And so, and ideologies. And so so, yeah, I think- it's really, it's really good. And, and I appreciate, I mean, I think it's really important for white people, um, and I mean, and for people of color, but definitely for white people to be able to lift up, not just, I mean, we need heroes in this work that we can aspire to and identify with. Um, because, you know, we're not called to be the Martin Luther Kings of our age, but we might be called to be the Robert W. Lee's of our age. Like we need to know what is the unique role that a white person can play in this movement, in a way that's uplifting and chain breaking and redemptive, ultimately. So,
1: well, everything he was born into, yeah, uh, that's an exaggeration because, um, I, no, I, I see he,
0: where you're going. I think it right. comes out of the but Methodist so much- Church. I,
1: I don't mean to suggest this of the Methodist Church, but in terms of his family, in terms of his station in life, what he was born into said, This is the path of your life, and yet it seems he had this Damascus Road experience with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, this is the path. And he said, yes, Lord. I mean, that is astonishing. And it should be a point of hope, encouragement, um, inspiration for white people. So what's astonishing you?
0: Um, Actually, just on personal note, my oldest child is 14 today. Callie turns 14. Wow. That is, um, I don't know, like I want to sing a few verses of Sunrise, Sunset. Like it's just (laughs) a strange um, reality that, um, I don't know, just how slowly and quickly, it's going at the same time, blah, blah, blah. It's boring to hear someone else say it, but it's not boring to live it. And um, we're just recognizing the finite amount of time that our kids are really in our, um, you know, immediate orbit sphere of influence. And um, I just, I mean, if, if I'm being honest, I could come up with some more like theological and holy sounding thing to say, but if I'm just being honest at what is astonishing me right now, it's just, um, I can't believe that my firstborn is 14 and I can't believe how fast, mm. how fast it all goes. So that, that's what I'm sitting with and I'm, yeah.
1: Is it a good feeling? Is it a, what, I mean, what kind of.
0: I mean, I'm not like, I, I mean, obviously I can be nothing but grateful to have mm. a healthy growing child. And I understand that that is a, a luxury and a privilege and a blessing from God. So I'm, I, I can do nothing, nothing, but celebrate. Um, I, I just, you know, it's just a strange thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just not, I know it sounds so trite or whatever, but I mean, these children come into your life and they totally redefine your life and who you are and your identity. And it, and it seems like it's this irrevocable Foreverness And the reality is it's, it's really quick. It's just a really discreet moment, hopefully of the entirety of your life and their life. And it, it goes really fast. So, um, yeah, so my oldest is 14. My youngest just turned four. So like I've, I've got more years in the parenting trenches, but not a whole lot more years with her. And so, um, you know, and I think we talk about, I mean, whatever, um, we've talked before just about how the daily, Um, of the tasks of doing church and child rearing can be sort of overwhelming and all consuming. And it's really important just to remember, have these moments where you remember what what a gift it is to get to do it at all. And I think, you know, I've always, always felt just because as a as a woman called to ministry, it never felt like a given to me that I would lead a congregation. Like, you know, so, so I've never taken for granted, um, coming in leading worship at, ever. And just the privilege of being able to do that weekend and week out, like it never feels like a chore to me. And I was talking to someone who's just recently moved into a different role and said, Oh, I, 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 I missed preaching. I didn't think I would miss preaching. And like, I have always known that I would miss preaching because I just knew that that was never going to be necessarily what I got to do week in and week out. Um, and I think just these moments of, you know, marking time with our kids make you realize that as, as hard as it can be, and, and certainly they don't meet our emotional needs and they're not created to meet our emotional needs. And also, it's just very finite. And so the fact that our kids are growing and healthy is a, is an un unbearable gift. Um, and, and the, and the fact that, you know, we only get a certain amount of time and then they are spun out on their own and that's really real. So I'm just, I'm just astonished. It's not bad, but it's also not, you know, I don't know. I just, It's hard to put words about it. So
1: I don't know if you saw, uh, the video that's gone viral now, um, to mom black mom in Georgia, I believe the Atlanta area and she's in the van with her two kids. And I think they look to be between the ages of maybe eight and 10, maybe a little older. And, um, they had seen some of the George Floyd video and mm-hmm. the kids, she was talking to the kids about it and they get really emotional. The little girl says, you know, I don't want that to happen to me. The little boy says, this is really unfair. And you know, they're crying. And um, I was watching that uh, today and it just struck me how important um, and that's too light of a word Um uh, but I'll use it, how important my role as a parent is. And you, you really don't have long to shape no. their lives. And in a season like this, you feel you feel the weight of what you put into them. Like <laughs> I am raising another human being and what I do or don't do dramatically shapes who they are. And that's just yes. really sobering to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that just in the, in the necessity and urgency of the things that have to get done day to day, it's really important to have moments where you think, um, like, does my child know what, what ultimately holds most weight in my life? And am I, am I really communicating that? And I, you know, I think even in this moment, like when all parents are trying to figure out what to do given school and the pandemic. And I I just think that one thing that's really important is, you know, the choices we make around this will really, really communicate our values to our kids even more than what we say our values are. And so it's really important, you know, um, like there are just some choices that I'm not going to make for my child, even though I believe that they might in the short term or on the surface be advantageous for my kid because it would um, communicate values to her that I don't want her to have, like Mm -hmm. do what you got to do for yourself. And it doesn't matter what, how that might affect other people. Like those just aren't kingdom values. And so I think, I mean, and to the point about, you know, who you started with Robert W. Lee, like he, he was called to make this prophetic stand and it didn't come without a cost. And I think yeah. so often, especially as you know, white parents raising white kids, we we want our white kids to be anti-racist, and we want them to hold values about, you know, taking a stand and um, working for a justice, and um, un- and just um, living in light of the full humanity of all people. But and if we want that, we have to recognize that it costs something. It does cost something, and we can't expect. Um, we can't expect everything, and so mm. um, anyway, I, I just I'm, I'm really grateful to be a mother. I'm grateful for a healthy, growing child, and I also there's just some urgency about how our kids watch us navigate these times. Mm. It really matters. Mm. So um, anyway, that is what is astonishing me.
1: So, what are you where thinking you, about?
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I'm thinking about because it's related to to where you started. Um, so I. week and i'll just collapse this into one but we're we're doing our um sermon series on the bible doesn't say that and the phrase that we're doing this week the thing that the bible does not say is god helps those who help themselves and the passage that i'm using the alternative vision that what god does say is from um the parable of the good samaritan and at the end of that jesus says you know uh, to the man who has correctly identified that the samaritan who helps is the good neighbor and jesus says to him go and do likewise and so the samaritan obviously crosses the road to help the person who can't help themselves and so the like fundamental premises you know god um we we don't serve a god helps those who help themselves god that's not our theology our theology is go and do likewise and I'm looking at the parable of the good samaritan and and just um right before it jesus is saying to the people around him that god has hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them the little children and and that that those who are with jesus now are seeing things that kings and prophets long to see and didn't get to see and just this idea that um the 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 truth of god and the kingdom of god that jesus is revealing to us they they're um they're so powerful um, and they're so simple that you can't not understand them you can not obey them (laughs) but you can't not understand them right so when you when Jesus identifies, well, when the lawyer identifies that the the law um, that he needs to follow to inherit eternal life, the law is um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And and the thing about that, both both the first, but especially the second, the love your neighbor as yourself, it's just, you cannot not understand that. I mean, you know what that means. And so what I'm thinking about this week is I'm, I'm still working my way through stamps from the beginning. And I, you know that this that Kindy book is um, tracing the truth, which is that all of these um, ideas and and prejudices that then um, that were the cited reason for these laws and practices that they they didn't come from emotion; they came from um, an economic um, agenda, right? Like people wanted slavery because it allowed them to get rich. And so then they needed to think of laws that made it legal. And then they needed to think of reasons that they could cite to prop up their laws. And it's just interesting. I mean Thomas Jefferson, whatever. I mean he's I mean he's interesting to me because he's writing all men are created equal. And yet, you know, he he he, he has humans that are enslaved and he kind of, and he's smart. So he, he just, his whole life, he, and, and Kendi just lays out in all his writings how he, he, he can't, you know, he, he sees the tension of that. He names the tension of that. And he just sort of never, I mean, he just lets it be as if it couldn't be resolved. But I mean, the reality is these, these things don't go together. And so you can't resolve them because they're irreconcilable. And so, I mean, that's interesting and infuriating, but the but the one who's more interesting to me is Cotton Mather, who's this Puritan pastor who on the one hand, um, you know, has this agenda that people that have been kidnapped um, and brought from Africa, um, that, that he wants to, quote, when A, he thinks he's introducing them to slavery, which we've, I mean, I'm sorry, introducing them to Jesus, which we've already mm-hmm. covered. But B, um, he, he very much needs to, he has to rationalize this in some way. And so his his chosen way of rationalization is to say like, well, we'll bring these people over and we'll, we'll save them. And so he's really big into, he wants everyone. And he writes, he writes more pamphlets and books than any other Puritan minister, like all the rest of them in his era combined. He just writes more. And, and his, he, he needs to get people to A, want to baptize their, enslaved captives and, and planters, they're resisting because they, they feel like, well, if I baptize them, I'm going to have to set them free. And so he has to come up with a way to say like, no, you have to baptize them because saving their souls is the way that I can justify doing this thing. Um, But, but then he has to say, he has to preach the gospel, which says, you know, there's one Lord, one baptism, one body, one life, whatever. But he has to get people to say like, that's true, but it doesn't mean that these people are the same as you or it doesn't I mean, but all, I'm just saying like the number of words, like the amount of ink he has to spill to get around, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. And if you just, I mean, love your neighbor as yourself. Like you can't, you cannot look at an enslaved person and say, I'm loving them as I love myself. You can't take an infant out of the arms of hey, this is a loving thing to do. I mean, like you just, I think it's so interesting that part of the pushback from people who don't want to remove monuments and people who are sort of threatened by this whole progressive movement is people will say like, look, you just can't look back at earlier centuries and judge history by the standards of today. And I want to say like, okay, as an American citizen, I mean, maybe whatever, but maybe, but as a Christian, these aren't 21st century values these are first century values these are you know these are exodus values covenant values so to say that these this is somehow to kind of new leftist progressive agenda that never existed before and people didn't have the concept to grasp this no like it's always been at the heart center of our faith it is as plain as the nose on our faces and and children can understand it and adults have to work very hard to misunderstand it. And I'm just thinking about Cotton Mather, who really, I mean, really, I I don't question the sincerity of his faith in Jesus, but he couldn't, he, he could not accept that God was doing something radically new on the face of the earth and that slavery was incompatible with it. And so he was just trying to figure out this really sophisticated theological justification along with every other white, thinker, scientist, I mean, not every other, but the majority. And it's just, you know, you can't, you have to work really hard to misunderstand it. And you have to work really hard to reconcile, to try to reconcile enslaving people with love your neighbor as yourself. You just, you can't do it without doing violence to the faith that we've received from Jesus. So that and anyway, Cotton Mather, I really wanted to work him into the actual sermon and I couldn't get him in. So here he here he is now. That's my that's what I'm doing.
1: Well, well, I'm preaching the same scripture this Sunday and as I've been wrestling with, you know, the text we call the good Samaritan, one of the things that occurs to me is that, you know, my whole academic career was built upon my knowing the right answer. Yeah. Right. So in class, I was that kid raising my hand when I knew the answer. Um, I was that kid that had one or two friends and we always competed to see who would get the best Mm -hmm. grades. I was that kid. And so there's a, there's a, there's a, there's part of my sense of self built upon being like the religious lawyer in Luke mm-hmm. 10. It's like, I know the right answer. You ask me a question and I can find a text. I can maybe even quote it and tell you chapter and verse. And I, I in, in preparing to preach this week, one of the things I'm convicted by is that I have not been uh, put in a place with an emphasis, the same kind of emphasis on living it out, <laughs> Mm-hmm. being a person of action, doing what I know to be true. And that's, that's deeply convicting, um, to me. And I, I think this parable of, of the good Samaritan, uh, I'm for the first time, I'm seeing it as something really dangerous.
0: Yeah. I mean, cause I think just to be clear for people who maybe haven't read it recently, I mean, the connection you're making is the, the person who, um, instigates the story is this lawyer who walks into the circle and says to jesus what do i need to do to inherit eternal life and jesus says you're a lawyer i.e an expert in the law of god how do you read the scripture and he gives the right answer he says love the lord your god blood your heart soul mind strength and love your neighbor as yourself so he has the right answer and then what the rest of the encounter reveals is that having the right answer is worthless it's worthless because he has no intention of conforming his life exactly. to the revelation that yes. he has. And I think there are just a lot of believers, Christians, who just we're we've so misunderstood grace that we think like, well, I can just have the right answer, but I don't have to walk it out. Like that's that's extra credit. But it's not, yeah. and you know, what Jesus well, is saying is it's not extra credit.
1: And even this text about acting in love and not just having the right answers. it To me, it's so dangerous because we can read it, we can hear it and think, oh yeah, I know that. I, I right. heard that story right. before and right. walk away and still totally miss the message Jesus is trying to give us in it. Right. Um, yeah.
0: And I just think a warning for us in a moment like this, when, I mean, it's natural that when we feel call to do or say something that's risky or dangerous or costly. And we look around and see like, well, who else is like me and what are they saying? And, and I think for so long, the church has made a false peace with, um, with evil when it comes to legal evil in this country, you know, we, we've just gotten used to this false understanding that, that, that faithfulness to jesus doesn't require that and that you know sort of the other thing that is so interesting in watching kindy trace all these ideas is that you just see there were just always one or two outliers people who were who were not just saying that slavery was wrong but were also you know speaking anti-racist ideas like saying there's no there's no difference between um black humans and white humans and they're equal and they're equally capable and whatever and and there were always one or two people saying that, but everyone around them who had the same titles and the same degrees and the same stat, they were all looking at them. Like you were nuts. You're crazy. And we sort of think as believers, like I can, as long as I'm sort of in the middle of the pack and saying what everyone else is saying, I'm probably okay. And the reality is often you're not okay. And I, at the Grove, um, our session, one of the things that we do is we have a, um, And understanding that we come to decisions by consensus. And one of the things that's important to that is that we say, look, in a given room, you really might be the only person um, the Holy Spirit can get through to. And so you can't just say like, well, I'm the only one and everyone else sees it differently. So I must be wrong and they must be right. Like you, you might be the catalyst. And I think for so long, so many white Christians are just... Um, looking around and saying, well, this is my mother who loved me or my father who loved me or my teacher, my Sunday school teachers who taught me good things about Jesus. And they don't have a problem with this. So I must be overreacting. I must be sensitive. I must be whatever. Like, no, humans are just deeply, deeply flawed. And that doesn't make them unloved, but it does mean that's why we don't follow human leaders. We follow Jesus. And when the plain teaching of Jesus leads us to another place, not just from evil people, but from people we love and have learned from we still have to follow jesus and follow in a way that other people can join us and not like we're going to throw people away like garbage so
1: did you hear the story of z johnson um she is a worship leader african-american woman in south texas um i was listening to her story earlier this week and um so she was approached by a white pastor Um, She's this phenomenal musician. She was serving another church a larger church and she was approached. She like filled in um, One Sunday at this church and this white pastor in this predominantly white church said I don't want a White church. I want you to come and be the worship pastor of this church And uh, she struggled with that decision, but ultimately she said yes She started working there things were going great. She was building the team uh, the, the ministry was tracking along fine. And then um, there was the murder of George Floyd. And Gosh. she spoke out. She just said, I think the quote was I, she tweeted something like, um, oh, I, I wish I could remember the exact quote. But it, it, it was something like, I'm going to paraphrase if your pastor is silent, Yeah. About this, then maybe they should not be your pastor. Something like that. Yeah. And the Saturday before worship, she was called in and fired. And, you know, at first, I mean, she's just really stunned. But here's an example of a church, a leadership team, a pastor who If you were to ask, is racism sin?
0: They would probably say yes. They would absolutely say yes. Yes. And And they would follow it up with, but I'm not racist. But
1: I'm not racist. And yet, and yet here's a place where just can't see, just can't hear. And when someone does speak, it's, I I can't have this. I, I just can't have this close to me.
0: And the label is divisiveness. Yeah. You can't mm-hmm. I can't have this divisiveness in our mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. But if our unity is based on silence in the face of injustice, then it's a false unity. And it's it's a it's an antichrist mm-hmm. unity because mm-hmm. God is on the side of the oppressed every time. So and I, I mean I think to the extent that it makes white people uncomfortable, like I get it, I'm white, I'm uncomfortable. I yes, but But being in the presence of the holy is uncomfortable. And looking at the magnitude of transformation that is necessary, not of those bad people out there, but on real self is deeply uncomfortable. But that, and like, if I could read the gospel in such a way that made me think that there was a less uncomfortable option, I would do, I'd do it. But I mean, the gospel I read and the Bible I read, like, I just think, well, I mean of course like of course it's this uncomfortable of course it requires nothing short of a miracle mm. and so when i feel overwhelmed and think how, how could how can this be <laughs> how will this be accomplished how can i have any hope that there'll be any I, I mean you just that's that's the gospel so if you don't i mean whatever i understand just sort of saying it's too much lord but You can't say that it's not it's not right in line with the tradition. Yeah. Anyway, well, I is that what you were thinking about? Did you
1: actually no? Here's what I'm thinking about, and uh, (laughs) I'm super excited about it. We are you and I are going to try something new next week. We are going to try to preach a sermon together via Zoom. We're going to do a dialogue sermon and. I've never done this before. I don't think you have. And so nope. it will be a great adventure preaching a sermon together. We're going to uh, preach on the nature of spiritual friendship. Is that right? I, I guess I should. Yeah, we're going
0: to, we're going to preach Psalm 133 and we're going to preach oh. about spiritual friendship and we're going to, we're going to execute the text, but we're mainly <laughs> going to, um, I mean, we're just going to talk about this reality that we are living, um, which I'm, yeah, I'm excited about it. Like, like we've never done it before either one of us, but I think, um, I mean, if, if any season was an, if not now when season it's this one. Um, so I think, and, and because both of us have been really called to this vision of healthy, holy, multi-ethnic church, I think that it's really important to lift up, not like ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. And I think as individuals who understand that as um, a facet of health in the body of Christ, then it's not just about how do I go to a church that looks a certain way? It's how can I be intentional about cultivating um, personal relationships that are um, manifestations of the body of Christ. And so, um, so yeah, so we are gonna talk about what that looks like. And um, I mean, it came out of the fact that like, we both ended up preaching the same text this week. And so we've Mm -hmm. been having some conversations and I, of course, me being me, I'm like, how do we do it together this week? And Yolanda was (laughs) like, you are crazy. No, (laughs) so um, so we're gonna do it next week. And I, yeah, I'm excited. Well,
1: yeah, and and listen, I'm pretty astonished. I don't know if you are. You should be, but I'm pretty astonished that I said yes so quickly. Oh, I'm I mean, very I,
0: astonished. <laughs> well, I, I, as the children say, I've been knowing you for ten years, <laughs> so I understand that for you, not only to agree to it, but to agree to it for next week is like, like well, warp speed. Yeah.
1: Often when you approach me with, "Hey, I got an idea." <laughs> <laughs> there's something within me that tightens up just just you know the introverted me it's nothing it's you it's it's me not yeah. you and but this time I was like oh that's yeah that's a pretty good idea so let's do it yeah
0: yeah yeah i mean that's it's like <laughs> so funny it's just this pattern <laughs> In our friendship, and I'm like, hey, 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 hey let's do a service here. Let's do it like this. Hey, 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 hey. And you're like, you're so kind. So you'll like talk it out with me and help me figure out like what, you know, what passages to use and where we might want to go. And they'll be like, do you want to do it? Do you want to do it? Do you want to do it? And you're like, oh, I'll think about it. And I'm like, cool, I'm starting next week. So it's, um,
1: you know what? We- I have to be honest, I didn't think you noticed that pattern. <laughs>
0: Oh, I, I noticed. I noticed because, I mean, I think it has been, we've never preached a sermon together, but there have been seasons where we have preached the same sermon series at the right. same time. Yes, But we usually pretty quickly diverge because, you know, we, we end up, I don't know. I mean, I anyways. Well, okay. no, so I, I, I know.
1: Here's why. It. Here's why. It's because both of us are pretty set on looking for texts that fit our context, looking, yeah. our yep. minds are, are moving in the direction of the question, what is God saying to our people, right? right. And often, because, you know, our work is similar, often we're moving in a, in a similar direction, but it's not exactly the same. And so there just comes that place where we
0: right. you go
1: this way, I go that way, um, even though we may be preaching the same theme
0: honestly, like spoiler alert, what often happens is Yolanda will preach the first sermon in the series and we'll be walking and he'll lay out like, I'm going to do these five points. And I'm like, cool. Your first sermon is going to be my whole sermon series. So what you do in one sermon in five points, I'm going to do in five sermons. Uh... And and let the record show, (laughs) it's not that my sermons are necessarily that much shorter than yours. So it's just, anyway, it's just an interesting, uh, it's a gift it is a gift on so many levels to be your friend but this will be really fun and no i definitely definitely am astonished in a wonderful way that not only are we going to do this but we're going to do it next week as opposed to like october 31st which would be more expectations but i mean it's a it's a brave new world and so we're doing lots of new things why not why not now so yes and i think we were both saying before we started recording that everyone that we have said you know told that we were going to do this the overwhelming response of all of our supposed friends is like oh this is a great idea because we know that <laughs> they're everyone tired of hearing it, us and they're so tired of hearing our voices and so um, someone else yeah. is
1: going to be on with you it's not just your voice
0: right <laughs> you. okay, do great. it <laughs> so um so yeah so we that's That's what we're thinking about. So, and, and we've already covered what we're preaching about. So maybe we're, we're coming in at a record, a record time. Listen,
1: I am already thinking this might be the first of many times we do this. If this goes, it doesn't (laughs) even have to go well. It just has to be okay. And I'm like, Hmm, I may want to try this again.
0: Well, I mean, what is really true? I mean, this is true for me. I won't presume to say it's true for you, but one of the gifts of um, our friendship is that I, after having a conversation with you, I see different things in the text and I, I I, just, I I understand more than I understand on my own. And so I think like bringing that, so my trip, like they don't know it, but on the rare occasions that we can't get together and it is pretty rare, like we usually, I mean, usually we get together every week, mm-hmm. um, but, in those rare seasons where that doesn't happen, like I notice a huge difference in my preaching. Um, and so I think it'll be fun. Like indirectly, I know that my congregation has been super blessed by mm. you by you for years. Um, it will just be fun for um for that to be just directly in front of everyone's face. So. Yeah,
1: well, I'm so looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, it's cool. Well, cool. I think we've run out of things to say for today. So um, thank you for listening, um, all of you who are listening. And I really want to encourage you to check out um, Yolando's messages, which are on the Derrida Church YouTube page. Um, Or you can look for Derrida Church, um, Google it, Derrida Presbyterian Church, Charlotte, North Carolina, and pop over to their website. Or you can just listen to the audio of his messages. I think you're probably like still back in October, right? But they're there on the pod beam. I think we're in website. February of this year. February. Oh, well, see, I'm sorry. I'm aligned <laughs> you. Um, but if you want to know more about the Grove, you can go to thegrovecharlotte.org and you can check out our whole worship services that are on Facebook now under the Grove Charlotte Grove Church Facebook page I shouldn't really know which one that is but they're there archived and um you can check out the messages on iTunes to search for the Grove Church podcast on iTunes so thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week